name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to try to finish up the book. And um, I titled the message, Beware of the Idle Brother. Be, beware of the idle brother or the lazy brother, the one, the one that doesn't want to work. And um, now Paul, in this book, he, his, this letter, he told the Thessalonians, remember, he was only there three weeks with them. And he taught them the gospel message, but he also taught them about the return of Christ. And they got so caught up in the return of Christ that um, they thought he was going to return in any, any minute. And, uh, and so some of them even stopped working. And so Paul told the Thessalonian believers, look, Jesus is not going to return until after the apostasy of the church, until after the, the true church falls away. And what will be known as Christianity, official establishment Christianity in the last days, will be a false global church that is not true biblical Christianity. And Paul says that's got to happen before Jesus comes back for the church. And the Antichrist has to appear. This demon-possessed man who will claim to be God and rule the world in the last days and force people to get the mark of the beast, the 666, where you can't buy or sell without it. Yet, to get that mark, you have to worship the Antichrist. And Revelation 14, 9 to 11 says that you'll be condemned to the eternal flames of hell if you receive the mark of the beast. And so Paul is telling him, look, before Jesus comes back, things are going to get even worse than they are right now. You guys and, and gals are suffering, Paul's telling the Thessalonians, but things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Okay? So don't expect like a secret snatching away. Paul says, no, the church is going to fall away and the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and is going to persecute the church. And then when Jesus returns at his second coming, that's when he's going to gather us and defeat the Antichrist. So Paul tells them in this letter to stand firm in the teachings of the apostles despite the suffering and persecution. And that's a big message for us. We've had it so good. We've been so spoiled here in America. We don't even know what suffering is. Okay. And of course, of course, some of us in our situation, my wife has lived uh, a life of suffering and pain. And uh, I'm getting a little bit of pain right now in, uh, in you know, my back and things and going for cortisone shots and things like that. But some of us have lost our loved ones. You know, my, my mom died in 2000. My dad died in 2009. So I, so I officially became an orphan at age 49 and had to move out of the basement. No, I'm only kidding about that. But, but. You know, but there's some of us, you know, I've done memorial services for little babies. And I, I can't tell, you know, a family that lost a little baby, I know what you're going through because I don't. Horrible, horrible suffering. But in general, the American church, we've been spoiled. We've had it so good. You know, um, what I, I drove through McDonald's one day and I'm coming home with my McDonald's breakfast and I realized I forgot to order a cup of coffee. And it was just like, that's the main reason why I go to McDonald's, not the food for breakfast. I like their coffee. And I was like, so I, mean, I felt like, I felt like, man, now I know what Job was going through because I forgot my little cup of coffee. Now that we're spoiled, okay? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's going to get hot in the kitchen. 
it's going to get hot in the kitchen. We're going to find out that we got believers that love Jesus and we got pretenders. And uh, whenever I'm around members of the persecuted church, I remind them because they treat me like royalty and stuff. And it's just like, look, I tell them my faith hasn't been tested yet. yet. Theirs has. Nobody put a whip to my back. Nobody threw me in a, in a prison cell. But we're living in a day and age where all of a sudden it says Isaiah 520, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. All of a sudden Christians now are the bad guys. And, um, and so we just got to recognize that. And what are we supposed to do? Sermon them out. Jesus says you love and pray for those who persecute you. So we got to be willing to turn the other cheek. We got to love Jesus more than our own lives. But, um, but so like the Thessalonians, we need to stand firm in the teachings of the apostles. We get that in the New Testament. And then they, part of their teachings, they taught us that the Old Testament's God's word without error. So the whole Bible is really the teachings of the apostles. And um, we need to stand firm in that despite the suffering and the persecution. I mean, for the American church, for most of our lives as Christians, it's kind of like, it was like stand firm in the teachings of the apostles despite all the entertainment we have here in America. It's like, man, why go to church on Sunday when I can go, I don't know, I'll go fishing or go golfing or or whatever, and it's, it's just like we got too many toys, and that's been getting in the way. Well, the days are going to come when the great exception, the United States of America, is going to become like the, the rest of the world, where Christians are going to lose their freedom, uh, where Christians are going to be persecuted and tortured for the preaching of the gospel. And so whether you're a quiet Christian or a loud Christian, you preach Jesus to our king comes back and makes things right upon the earth. So he says, stand firm in the teachings of the apostles despite the suffering and the persecution. Then Paul asked for prayer earlier in chapter 3 that the, the gospel would spread quickly and, uh, and that they would be delivered from w wicked men. You know, that's the thing about when you're trying to preach the gospel and you're getting persecuted, it's hard to continue to preach the gospel. God still works it out like, the Tertullian, the great bishop in the early church in 220 A.D., said that the, um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So when Christians are willing to suffer and die for the gospel, the church grows. And um, at the same time, those who are preaching the gospel pray for deliverance from wicked men. Why? So they can be comfortable? No, so they can keep on preaching Jesus. Yeah, I, I woke up in the morning. I wake I wake up in pain because of my back. I'm about four foot six, four foot seven when I wake up, and my wife has to kind of massage me so I leave the house about five foot three, five foot four. By the end of the day, I'll be back just a shade under five foot six. And um, but um, but you get battered, you get beaten up. But it's just like, look, if you got breath. I don't care how much pain I was in. If I woke up in the morning, then in using the gifts God has given me, God's called me. It's like, okay, I woke up, so I got to preach Jesus today. And some of us preach Jesus with our words. Some of us with our works, the way we serve others, and we let people know we love them and tell them God bless them. But if you got breath in your lungs, you live for King Jesus. Okay, no way you're going to know that you're going to be willing to die for King Jesus 
when things get bad, unless you're living for King Jesus when days are good. But Paul said, you know, pray that I be delivered from wicked men. And then Paul told us the Lord is faithful. He'll guard us from the evil one. Um, Paul said he had confidence in the Thessalonians' obedience to the Lord and that Paul prayed that the Lord would direct their hearts into the love of God and into the patience of God. Okay? It's all about loving God with everything we got, loving our neighbors as ourselves. That fulfills the whole law. Okay? That's the spirit of the law. Even more important than the letter of the law. Loving God with everything you got, loving your neighbors yourself. And that can only happen if you're born again. That can only happen if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation and the Holy Spirit indwells you and is working through you. Okay? Uh, but it's our job to love God with everything we got and love our neighbors ourselves, even if our neighbors persecuting us. And then, and then he wants us to have the patience or the endurance of Christ. He's talking about two of the fruit of the Spirit, love and patience. Paul wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, that's, that's your report card. Your report card is not the things you did, the things you didn't do. Your report card is, was the fruit of the Spirit manifest in your life? If the fruit of the Spirit is being manifested in your life, you will do the things God wants you to do, okay? And so now Paul goes from saying that in verses 6 through 15, he tells them to withdraw from the idle brother, the lazy brother that doesn't want to work. And um, now Paul, Paul's team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they set the example, verses 6 to 9. So look at verses 6 to 9 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But we command you, brethren, so this is a command, okay? Not a suggestion. But we command you, brethren, says Paul, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Lord. He is Yahweh. God the Son become a man. He is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Okay? And in verse 9, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, we don't have enough time to just break it all down. But basically what he's saying is, look, you need to withdraw from the idle brother who's not working. Now, why were these some in Thessalonica not working? Because they got confused. They thought that the Lord Jesus could return. They were suffering persecution, so they thought, okay, Jesus is going to return any minute, any moment return of Jesus. So we might as well just give up our, our job, stop working, and wait. Oh, wait, Jesus didn't come today. I'm getting hungry. Oh, he didn't come tomorrow. I'm getting hungry. Uh, I need some food. Let me hang out with those Christians who aren't as spiritual as I am, who are still working, who still care about their physical needs, and I'll mooch off of them. 
And Paul's saying, like, what is going on, guys? The, the apostasy of the church has to come first. The appearance of the Antichrist has to come first. So you need to just work each day. You know, you know when you're going to give up your jobs is when, you know, if they, the government says, okay, if you preach Jesus, if you're a Christian, you can't work anymore. Uh, we had, I don't know how many of you know Nelson, Nelson LaPlante. He was teaching for a quote-unquote Christian school, SBU, Seattle Pacific University, and he didn't sign a form uh, approving of the LGBTQ lifestyle. And so they, they fired him from his uh, part-time teaching position. And that's supposed to be a Christian school. Uh, when the, the mark of the beast is, is issued, you can't buy or sell if you don't worship the Antichrist and accept his mark on your right hand or your forehead. Now, until then, what do you do? You do what God's called you to do, and God has not called any of us to be idle. Now, let's say you're really, really sick and you're bedridden. Well, then you better be your church's greatest prayer warrior. You know, if that's all you can do, you pray and you worship Jesus. Okay? Paul spent some time in solitary confinement. He was not idle. He was being all that God called him to be. But for most of us, being all that God called us to be means getting out there and working hard to take care of our families. And back then, the ladies who used to work in the home, that was hard work. You had dirt floors. The ladies might have to go a mile to get a few gallons of water and then carry it on their head and then walk a mile back home uh, holding the hand of the the littlest child who's then holding the hands of the other two or three kids or whatever, as that was rough work. And um, Jesus, when Jesus saves us, he leaves us on the planet Earth for a reason. Jesus didn't leave you. When, when, Jesus, when you first trusted in Jesus for salvation, he's the only way for us to be saved. God the Son become a man, died on a cross for our sins, took our punishment for us, rose from the dead to conquer death for us. If we trust in him alone for salvation, we're saved, we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, why didn't he just take us to heaven right then? Because he's got a job for us to do here. And for most of us, that involves some kind of labor to take care of our families, okay? And, uh, uh, and, and Paul's saying, hey, look, some of you aren't doing that. And you need to withdraw from the idle brother. Now, Paul says, look, we set the example for you, even though we had the authority. You know, he's saying we work day and night. You know, Paul himself was a tent maker. And um, he would sometimes work for Aquila and Priscilla when they were in town. Uh, they had a tent making business. But Paul's saying even though he and his team had the authority to not do secular labor, in other words, even though he and his team had the authority to make their living from preaching and teaching the gospel, they thought it would be a better idea to set the example for the Thessalonians by doing secular work themselves. So Paul would work all day. Here this guy, is, you know, he's, he's already getting battered and beaten up and um, persecuted and all, but he still worked hard. You know, you get up, I get up in the morning, I don't feel like, I don't feel like working. I'm all banged up. But I got, I got a wife to take care of. I got bills to pay. And um, uh, but Paul's saying, you know, we, we had the authority. We could have preached the gospel full time to you. 
Now, where does Paul uh, talk about this? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. It says, let the elders, the elders are like the pastors of a church, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So those who, who, who lead the church and put the bulk of their time in studying God's word and teaching biblical doctrine, teaching others, um, they're worthy of double honor. Well, what does that mean? Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it trends out the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, he quotes from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, which means the Gospel of Luke was written before Paul wrote 1 Timothy. Most of our pastors don't even know that or preach that. We've got to get back to the earlier dates um, for the Gospel. My, my book, Hijacking the Historical Jesus, I've got a whole chapter, 50 pages, on redating the New Testament books based on what the, the church believed before evolution crept into the picture, okay? But the laborer is worthy of his wages. Paul says this, do not receive an accusation against an elder except uh, from two or three witnesses. In fact, I even kind of went a little further, but he's saying the laborer is worthy of his wages. So those who make their living preaching the gospel ought to be able to be paid in, in, uh, in, in, in physical things. Look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 to 18. And so Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 9 through 18, uh, for it is written in the law of Moses, verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things. In other words, if we're going to teach you spiritually, isn't it our right to receive physical blessings for that? Okay? And, um, and, and then Paul talks about the fact that even though he has that authority and right, just like the other apostles did, he chose not to do that. He chose whenever possible to work a secular job and preach so that they wouldn't, these new believers wouldn't think that he was just in it for the money. Verse 14 there in 1 Corinthians 9, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, okay? And, um, and so basically Paul's saying the preachers of God's word have the right to make a living preaching God's word, if God has called them to preach. Now, let me say this. You know, I got saved in the Catholic charismatic movement, and it took me two years of studying God's word to realize I needed to get out of the 
the out of Roman Catholicism. It wasn't biblical. And I also realized I needed to get out of the, the charismatic movement, at least that particular charismatic movement, because they were abusing the gifts. And everybody and their mother's brother was telling me, God's called me to be a prophet, or God's called me to be your spiritual leader, and you're supposed to support my preaching, this and that. Let me tell you, if God's called uh, a man to preach, okay, um, you take care of your family, and if that means secular work, so be it, and you preach. And as people feel led to give, we don't even take a collection. We've been here, we've been around for what, 35 going on 36 years. We don't take a collection. If you feel led to give, you give, okay? I do receive some funds, which pretty much take care of our medical expenses. Got a lot of medical expenses and all, but I work. It's not really secular employment. I get paid full-time to teach the Bible at the Christian high school, okay, during the day. But believe me, just because some guy or gal says God called them to preach the word and therefore you got to support their ministry, uh, pray about it because there's a lot of bogus people out there. And um, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of, I've known guys who quit really well-paid jobs to just preach on the street corner while their wife and seven kids were dependent on the taxpayers to take care of them. Paul says, you stay away from that guy, okay? And you pray for his family. And um, um, and, and believe me, there, there's still a lot of that um, that's going on. But look at Galatians 6, verse 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So he's basically saying, look, you know, if I was going to have brain surgery or heart surgery, um, I'd want to know that the surgeon is well-paid and well-trained, okay? So why in the world would I want somebody to operate on my soul who doesn't, hasn't done their homework, okay? And I could, I'll be honest with you, I could care less if somebody's got a seminary degree I just want to know that whoever's behind the pulpit is really grounded in the word, really knows what they're talking about. I'm still going to test what they say with the word of God. Um, uh, but uh, at the same time, shouldn't, we, shouldn't that be a priority with us to say, now, wait a minute. If I'm not going to let somebody do surgery on my heart, uh, if somebody's going to do surgery on my heart, I want the guy to be well paid. But if somebody's going to operate on my soul, you know, I really don't care. You know, it, it, it's one of those things. I don't want my heart surgeon worried about his next mortgage payment when he's doing surgery on me. <laughs> I, I want him thinking about one thing, okay, my heart. Yeah. Um, when preachers of the word are occupied with other things and God's word isn't really on their heart, that can be real difficult. Now, Paul's saying, as, especially as an apostle, not just a preacher of the word, he had the authority, just like Peter and the other apostles, to make his living preaching the word. Yet, because he did not want that to be a stumbling block, he chose to do secular employment and raise his own funds and then preach in his free time. Okay? That's not easy. I've been bivocational almost all of my 35, almost 36 years of ministry, it's not easy. Praise God, my other job is also teaching the Word. I, the good thing is, is I, 
I teach one weight class each day, so I get to, get to at least rest my brain and um, during that time. But um, Acts 18, 1 to 5, look at, look at the way Paul ministered at Corinth. After these things, Paul departed from Athens, Greece, and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in, in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. Paul worked with them, for by occupation they were tent makers. So Paul was tent making with them. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath, so on Saturdays he would go and persuade both Jews and Greeks that Jesus is the Messiah. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So basically what he's getting at is, look, when Paul's somewhere alone, he'll do his tent making so he can preach. He doesn't want the pagan Gentiles to say, oh, you're just in it for the money, okay? And by the way, the payment back then might not have been money. It might have been somebody giving you eggs, somebody, somebody giving you some meat, some of you, somebody giving you a room to stay in or whatever it may be, okay? Uh, there was a lot of bartering uh, going on back then. But Paul said, look, I don't want these pagans saying I'm doing it for the money. So I'm going to work full time and preach in my free time. Now, when Silas and Timothy show up, Paul might tell them, hey, guys, I need you guys to work to free up more time for me to study God's word and to preach God's word. By the way, studying God's word was harder back then than it is today because you had to get your hands on some scrolls. And um, Paul's important enough to own some scrolls. Second, Second Timothy, when he's about to die, he talks about the scrolls and parchments, but, um, but most of the time you did not have access to them. You had to go to the local synagogue to break out the Old Testament scrolls and memorize them, and then meditate on them, and study them. Uh, but whatever the case, Paul said, look, I, I've, got my, I've got the authority to make my living preaching and teaching the gospel, yet to set an example for you, I worked full-time in a secular job. So I'm setting the example for you Thessalonians, and so because of that, uh, uh, you know, I set the example for you, and now some of you aren't working because you think Jesus is going to return, you know, any moment or whatever. Uh, that's not what I taught you. I set the example by working hard. And so look at verses 10 through 12 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So Paul's saying, we set the example for you. Now verses 10 through 3, uh, 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Okay, so what is he saying? He said, look, it's, 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 it's plain. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Okay, That's, that sounds like really harsh and really cruel nowadays, but that was the norm throughout 
the, 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 the millennia. I mean, it wouldn't even matter if you were a pagan. Nobody liked, you know, your second cousin moving in with you, mooching off you when he's healthy. So now, now look at James 127. James 127. James 1, chapter 1, verse 27. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let me say this. There are some preachers out there that say that uh, um, Christianity is not a religion. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, yeah. I mean, that's true to a certain thing, but there's some preachers act like religion is always bad. James is telling us you need to have pure and undefiled religion. Now, here's what you need to understand is religion is how man should respond to God, okay? Religion is how man should act before the all-powerful God, okay? So nowhere does James say that religion saves you. But once you get saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, once you are saved, then it is your religious duty to obey God. So we don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we are saved. Good works are the fruit or the result of salvation, um, faith, being saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus. Faith is the, the cause of salvation. God's grace, we accept it through faith in Jesus. That's what causes us to be saved. Once we're saved, um, then the result of that uh, is to live godly lives of obedience to the Lord. So the way we should act before God in a pure and undefiled manner is not just keeping oneself unspotted from the world. You know, I could say, well, you know, yesterday um, I was a holy man. I didn't uh, leave the house and treat anybody bad. I didn't curse. I can make a list of all the things I didn't do. And then I could say, man, I was a holy guy yesterday. But, but then the second question is, oh, yeah, uh, so you didn't do the bad stuff. Uh, Mr. Fernandez, did you do the good stuff? Okay, and then all of a sudden it's kind of like, all right, God doesn't mind me watching that first football game, but maybe the second one, maybe I, you know, there was some writing I was supposed to do and um, that I never did get to. I kind of felt, still do feel a little guilty about it. So uh, living a life of obedience to the Lord is not just don't do the bad stuff, but there's also good stuff God wants you to do. So, man, I didn't hurt anybody. I, didn't do I just sat down all day and watched television. I'm a holy man. No, you're not. Okay. Now, now by the way, you know, you work hard. You need a little bit of rest now and then. But, um, but part of that rest should be a little devotional time with the Lord, Maybe getting out and about every now and then and letting people know that, that Jesus loves them, okay? And um, how are they supposed to know that Jesus loves them if we don't love them? But James tells us here, part of pure and undefiled religion before God is visiting or orphans and widows in their trouble. 
you know, if, if a lady's husband died back then, there wasn't like, okay, don't worry about it. We got jobs for ladies. Very few ladies worked. You know, um, it was a, a male chauvinistic society to a large degree. And, um, uh, and so if a lady's husband died, for some of the ladies, it would be either starvation uh, or some would turn to prostitution to try to feed their kids or whatever. Um, uh, here James is saying, look, pure and undefiled religion um, is not only not doing the bad stuff, but you got to do the good stuff. And part of the good stuff is taking care of widows and orphans and their time in need. Okay? When, when, when I ask you how you're doing, when the other pastors ask you how you're doing, please be honest with us. There's been, there's been people that, um, elderly people that, that have told, I'm doing, we're doing great. So I think they're doing great. And then I used to get um, uh, Cease. She would do a little uh, secret investigation and find out that somebody's living only on hot dogs. Forget the buns, forget the sauerkraut, maybe some mustard, and uh, the funds just aren't there. We need to know that kind of stuff. We're not a wealthy church, but we need to help out. We try to help out. We need to help out more. And so you let us know. God's prospering some of the people in this church. Some of the other people in this church were living paycheck to paycheck, and now with inflation going up, we need to know who we're going to take care of, okay? So we must care for widows, orphans, the elderly. Some people are too old to work, okay? And uh, the disabled. Some people are disabled. They can't work, okay? Um, you know, I'm battling that with my back right now. I wonder, gee, how long, how long can I hold out? Now, Social Security, assuming it's still around, it's supposed to kick in in a few years, but, you know... I got some big, big bills to pay. And, um, and, uh, but we got to care for the widows, the orphans, the elderly, the disabled. Now, with today's homeless, you know, when I was a kid, we used to call them bums. And that sounds evil. That sounds mean. I actually think that was very kind. Because if you, nobody wants to be a bum. So if you could help it, you wanted out of the homeless situation. Now by calling them homeless, we make it sound so nice, like we owe them something, okay? Fact of the matter is, when you're born into this world, nobody owes you a dime, okay? Now, hopefully you got parents that love you, that'll take care of you, and then teach you so that uh, eventually you'll leave the nest, you know, if you're an Italian guy, Mrs. County, New Jersey, maybe at age 30, you leave your parents' basement or whatever, but eventually you gotta, eventually you gotta leave the nest, okay? And, um, uh, but this idea, the world owes you everything. You know, we're born with a sin nature, so in fact, we're conceived with that. So when we're born, we think the whole universe revolves around us. We think other people are here just for me and for my pleasure. And that's why we throw tantrums as babies. And that's why good parents don't give in to you when you throw your tantrums because they're trying to tell you. It's like, it's like Joe Fernandez and Angelina Minichino Fernandez 
We're telling little Phil Fernandez, look, the world doesn't revolve around you. It's a cruel world out there. We forfeited the garden long ago. Earth is in paradise. You don't work, you don't eat. Okay? And, and so, like, right now, when you look at the homeless community, by the way, when the church doesn't do its job and the government starts doing it, watch out. Because I tell you, you feed a hungry person and that person wants to worship you. Okay? So when a Christian feeds a hungry person and the person tries to worship them, the, the Christian says, no, you worship Jesus. I did this in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want him to give the glory. When the government feeds a hungry person, okay, and the people want to worship the government, the government says, bring it on. The deification of the state where the government is playing God. And by, by the way, if somebody needs a dollar and I give them a dollar, guess how much the guy gets? A dollar. If somebody needs a dollar and the government taxes me, takes a dollar from me, by the time the guy gets that dollar, it's probably about a nickel. It's got to pass through the bureaucracy. It's not even cost effective. Now, with our homeless people today, many of them are addicts. They don't need new needles. They need to be trained about how to live, okay? We get mentally handicapped people. In the 1970s, we used to institutionalize uh, mentally handicapped people who refused to take their medications. And some of them had to be institutionalized. Now, unfortunately, some of the places like Willowbrook out of New York were abusing the patients. And because of that, we shut down so many of these uh, institutions and so there's a lot of people on the streets arguing with themselves, talking to themselves, where they could live a pretty normal life if we would just force them to take their medications. And, um, but they and the addicts, they're people that just need, they need help out of that homeless lifestyle. We should not be enabling them to stay in it. Then some of the homeless people are just plain criminals. Guys who prefer to live on the streets and deal drugs and this and that, those guys shouldn't be on the streets. We have prison cells for them, okay? And, um, um, and then you get sometimes just lazy, irresponsible people. People who are healthy enough to work but just don't feel like it. That's where this comes in. If any man will not work, neither let him eat. Now, let me say this. Some homeless people are nice people going through difficult times. You come across some of those nice people going through difficult times, you try to help them out. But give them a hand a hand up, okay? Not a hand down, not a hand out, okay? And um, even, even liberal President Bill Clinton took an idea from uh, conservative President Ronald Reagan that he couldn't get off the ground, uh, but Bill Clinton tur turned welfare into workfare. If we can give you hard work and taxpayers' money, we can also give you a job if you're healthy enough to work. And um, so we got to look for these nice people going through difficult times. By the way, uh, I don't directly give money to, to, um, to, to homeless people and stuff like that um, until I get to know them. 
And if I don't know them, I'll support Salvation Army and the, you know, the, there's, there's other places out there, Vinnie DePaul and stuff, which will reach out to these people. But I'm telling you, there's some, there's some people on the streets that get kicked out of the Salvation Army because they want the bed and the food, but they want to bring their dope with them, okay? Um, some of them um, don't want to play by the rules because the Salvation Army, Salvation Army doesn't want to just put food in people's bellies. It wants to also teach them about Jesus and help them back on their feet. So when, when things are going well, some of the people that are, there'd be a long line for food and some of the people who are pouring the food out on people's plates, some of those people used to be on the other side of the table just a few months before. And, um, and uh, but, but the, here's the general rule. If you're not a little baby, you know, an orphan or a widow or elderly or disabled, then the Bible says, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Okay, and we're there's oh there's those times when godly people are in between jobs. Now day's going to come. The bigger and bigger government gets, the less and less jobs there's going to be. Okay, so the day's going to come where no matter how hard you're willing to work, you're not going to be able to find work. And we're going to have to do some real thinking here at the church. That's why our our prep classes and stuff are really important and storing food and how to grow your own plants and things of that sort. Um, it's, it's amazing how little love our government has for us. And, um, and so if anyone will not work, neither let him eat, okay? And, um, and so that's what we need to do. We, we need to, if we find Christian brothers or sisters and they're not working, and um, uh, by, by the way... Uh, if you stay with your parents and your parents are okay with it, where you just work around the house and you're just going to stay there and then when your parents get older, you're going to take care of them, I'm all for that. My Portuguese side of my family, the Fernandez, did it. They didn't get married. They stayed in the home. And um, so uh, at the same time, though, the, the, the male that did that did get a job. You know, he worked in a career and retired. But but then he gets the whole house when the parents die. And some of the in-laws didn't like that, but that's just tough. That's the way the Francis do it. That's like honoring your father and your mother. That means when your parents get older, you take care of them, sets the example for your kids, so when you get too old to work, your kids can take care of you. That's the Bible retirement program. Now, am I going to collect... Social Security when I'm eligible, you better believe it because the government took like, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars from me over the years. Most of my life was, adult life was working two jobs. And so, yeah, I'm going to try to collect, but I don't know how it's, where the money's going to come from because there'll be so few workers trying to support so many old guys like me. And, um, but, um, but whatever the case, if anyone will not work, they let me. By the way, I, I'm, I feel led to work till I die. I'm going to preach Jesus, you know, till I die or he comes back. And um, so, you know, I pray I don't get dementia or Alzheimer's um, because I just want to keep preaching Jesus. But I do have to admit, you know, teaching in high school after a while, you know, I want at least a partial retirement there. Uh, but I want to preach Jesus till he comes back. Um, and there's 
you know, even before mankind fell, God gave us responsibilities, okay, in the garden. And um, so that's not just a fallen thing. We all, there, there's God doesn't want us to just hang out. He's got something he wants us to do. It might be a lady taking care of kids and homeschooling the kids and bringing them up in a godly home. It might be a guy working his entire life at a job that he hates. But that's the best job he can get to take care of his family. But if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. And then Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians 3, 13 through 15, verse 13. He says, don't, don't grow weary in doing good. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. You know, and, you know, that, that, that covers the whole gamut there. I mean, that's when you're sharing Jesus, don't get weary of sharing Jesus with others. When you're discipling Christian brothers and sisters uh, who are not as spiritually mature as you, don't get weary. Keep doing that. But it also means about your, your day job. You know, I mean, it gets, it's getting hard for me. Uh, waking up in the morning, I just feel battered and all, and it just like, but it's like, hey, um, I didn't have to, I didn't have to decide to marry my bride, but I did. And so I vowed to take care of her till, till the day I die. And even after that, I should have at least term life insurance, leave something behind, you know. I mean, if you if you feel like sleeping on a you're a guy you feel like sleeping on a park bench and eating out of a dumpster, you know, uh, don't get married, <laughs> all right? Okay. And um, and by the way, I love everybody here at Trinity Bible Fellowship. This is not my number one ministry. Okay, my bride at home, she's my number one ministry. Your family, when you get married, your number one ministry becomes your family. If you're single, your number one ministry is just whatever ministry God's given you. Yeah. But once you get married, that family is your number one ministry. And so Paul says, if anyone will not work, uh, neither let him eat. So don't grow weary in doing good. Work hard, support your family, and obey Christ. Verse 14, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle and this letter... Note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. So Paul said, don't even fellowship with lazy brothers. Is somebody just mooching off everybody and they're healthy enough to work? You know, tell, tell the guy, well, all right. Uh, you know, by the way, I've given a few stranger, homeless strangers uh, McDonald's gift certificates. That McDonald's, a guy walks into the McDonald's with some girl and saying they need, you know, two teenagers that, you know, they need money. Do you have this amount of money? This and that, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to give you some money and go out and buy dope? I don't, I don't want to support your habit. So I looked, I realized that McDonald's, I was with my grandson, Nathan. This was a few years ago. So I went and bought a $25 gift card for McDonald's, which back then would have bought you two meals. Now it only buy you one meal at McDonald's with inflation and all. But, um, but I gave the guy the card. You know what? The guy was grateful, was very, very grateful. Got to talk with him about Jesus. 
Some guys would have probably given it back to me. No, you know what some guys would probably do is they'd probably sell it. Okay? We got people selling food stamps right now. Okay? And so they can get their, their drug money and stuff. But but Paul Paul says, Don't fellowship with lazy brothers, verse 14. Then in verse 15 he says, Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So keep in mind, when you have a sinful uh, Christian brother or sister, uh, we might not be able to fellowship with them. If they will, you know, you talk to them, they keep sinning. You go with a witness, they keep sinning. You bring it before the church, they keep sinning. Then you've got to excommunicate them, okay? But you don't treat them like an, an enemy. You treat them like a brother or sister that you love who needs correction. And hopefully by disfellowshipping them, they'll eventually come back. See, in the American church, we've made Christianity um, a social club, okay? Christianity is not a social club. We are an assembly, a gathering of spiritual warriors who are to do spiritual combat for the kingdom of God, okay? And... Um, don't play games with Jesus. Jesus is your friend. He is your savior. He loves you. But Jesus is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is still the God who created the universe. He is the, still the God of our redemption. Okay? And, um, and so when everything's said and done, don't play games with Jesus. In fact, God's word says, uh, the apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Stop playing games with Jesus. And this goes beyond just having a job, okay? By the way, back in Jersey, I was having a hard time finding a job. And I wasn't getting anywhere with my boxing. So a guy talked me into going with him in the Marine Corps. I thought, well, I need the money. I need a ticket out of Jersey. And he didn't show up for to take the oath, so they shipped me off with five strangers from North New Jersey. And uh, um, But that's an option. Can't find work. What about the military? Um, but you, God, God does not place us in this world to take up space. He places us in this world to glorify him. And when you get saved and you come into the church, God doesn't want you to just take up space. You, whether you know it or not, whether the world thinks you're crazy or not, you are on a mission from God. Okay? And that means taking care of your loved ones, and that means sharing with others um, who are in need. And um, I'm going to close with Galatians. We'll finish this next week. But Galatians, back in Galatians 6, Galatians chapter 6, in verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6, Paul says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul's saying, take care of other believers. Well, doesn't that, that almost seems to contradict what he's saying there, 
But no, apparently these are believers. These are those widows and orphans or disabled or elderly people. And then in verses 4 and 5, but let each one examine his own work that, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. So in other words, we go into it, I am going to pull my own weight. I'm not going to be a lazy brother. I'm going to go out there and work hard and work hard for the Lord and work hard to take care of my loved ones. And then if I'm doing well, if there's somebody who can't find work or somebody who's too disabled to work or too young to work or a widow has no one to take care of her, okay, if God blesses me, now I'm going to take care of my own, but I'll try to also bear the burdens of one another. Brothers and sisters, it's going to get hot in the kitchen. Things are going to get real tough, and city boys are going to be real reliant on the people who know how to kill animals and cook them and uh, grow their own food and stuff like that. But we're going to need to come together and bear one another's burdens. But in the meantime, if you're healthy and there's jobs available, work, because God's word says, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. So when everything's said and done, if you don't get anything else out of this message, just remember God created you for a purpose and he saved you for a purpose. He's given you a mission. Give 100% to whatever it is that God called you to do. God made me loud, and he called me to preach. And so I'll preach Jesus till, till he comes back in glory. God may have given you other gifts. Use those gifts for God's glory and to serve others. And so we love God with everything we got. We love our neighbors, ourselves. And we serve the triune God until Jesus returns in glory. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just thank you, Lord, that uh, believers 2,000 years ago had the same issues that we have today. And so that we can learn from the instruction that, that Paul and other New and Old Testament writers, the instructions that they gave them. And so I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would recognize that we are eternally loved by you, but we are also eternally significant. We're eternally important because you have given us an important role to play in your kingdom. And that's going to include, for many of us, secular work and taking care of the needs of our family. Um, but whatever it is, Lord, Whatever it is that you've called us to do, may we do it for your glory. May we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, 